up, y'all? My name is Peter. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Deep Even Lift Bro, Med Exercising Social Justice. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. Today, we're going to be talking about body image. But first, how are you, Carl? Uh, I'm all right, Peter. I'm a piece of tissue in my nose because it started bleeding for some reason. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, yeah. I didn't drop it on my pants, though, so that makes me really happy. Nice. Um, and I do think this, like, really cold, dry weather is finally starting to catch up to me. Yeah. Uh, so if I feel stuffed, it's because I'm literally, like, stuffing my nose right now. Yeah. Hopefully it'll get fixed here later. How are you? Uh, I'm really tired. I uh, went to a concert last night and I stayed the night at my partner's place and I drove back from Aurora this morning. Hour and a half. Yeah. Or 10, 15. It's long. It's a long ride. Yeah. Well, that was rough, but um, I'm excited to do some talking. Okay, cool. Uh, So today... As we said, we were talking about body image, and we had this incredible privilege of having Sonia Renee Taylor here. She is the author of the book, The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. So what we're actually going to do is start with an interview that we had with her. And Peter and I, we tried to talk about body image without the help of (laughs) Sonia Renee Taylor. It wasn't good. It was brutal. It was really Um, bad. Yeah, we started talking about like circumcision. And so... Which is important. It is important. We will talk about that later. <laughs> Maybe. But not here. <laughs> not here, right. And so what we, what we want to do now is start with the interview to help us figure out how to talk about it between the two of us. All right. So here is the interview that we had with Sonia Renee Taylor, the author of The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. We have Sonia Renee Taylor, author of The Body is Not an Apology. Welcome, Sonia. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here all the way from New Zealand. <laughs> all so. the way. <laughs> That's really far. It is very far. <laughs> and I imagine the weather's a little different. It's summertime there, so I'm very mad about this five degrees <laughs> and snow. It's us Colorado. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so awesome. So before we start, could you tell us about your salient identities? My salient. I, I like this phrasing, salient identities. I identify myself as a fat black, queer, neurodivergent, cis woman. I use she, her pronouns. Um, Yeah. Word. Thank you. Awesome. So we were talking about body positivity within this idea of masculinity. Mm. And so you, within your book, The Body's Not an Apology, the big praxis, I guess, is what you're talking about, is this idea of radical self-love. Yeah. So could you describe to us what radical self-love is? Sure. Um, So radical self-love, I sort of did describe it as our awareness of our divine enoughness, Mm -hmm. right? That actually we are inherently, and I use the word radical very specifically based off of the Webster dictionary definition of it. And there are five definitions. The first is existing inherently in a thing, uh, thoroughgoing or extreme, um, demanding drastic political, economic, and social change, existing inherent or, or foundational, serving as the foundation of a thing. And there's always one more that I forget, but we'll start with those four. Uh, and so radical self-love is one, our inherent way of being. We arrived here as radical self-love. You've never mm-hmm. seen a self-loathing toddler. Mm-hmm. And the reason you've never seen a self-loathing toddler is because they there is nothing interrupting their sense of their divine enoughness. They know they're awesome, right? And they actually think you're awesome too. And everybody's awesome when you're three because we all arrived here actually with that. And the the work is actually to figure out what has separated us from that way that we came here. Thoroughgoing or extreme in the sense that we live in a world that has thoroughgoing and extreme messages telling us we're not enough every single day that tell you you're deficient, tell you need to change something, tell you're not doing it enough, et cetera, et cetera. So practicing a self-love that is intense enough to challenge the everyday messages that we receive that are also very intense. 
I propose a self-love that changes the political, economic and social systems of this world, that oppression in many ways are about our inability to make peace with our with the body, our own bodies and other people's bodies. And oppression at the end of the day is all experienced on the body. And so I'm interested in a love that transforms in unjust systems uh, that value some bodies over other bodies and foundational that whatever world it is that we're creating, we've already tried to build that on self-hatred. We've already built that on disconnection and inequity and injustice. And so I think the one that we want that'll actually stick has to be built on love. And so that's why it has to be radical. Beautiful. Thank you. One of the things that I love about the book is that you make explicit this connection to how uh, radical self-love needs to address systems of oppression. Yeah. And we do that on this podcast too. We constantly talk about power. So I would love to hear your thoughts are what are some of the like unique, it's weird to think that heterosexual, able-bodied white cis men have unique barriers to this kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. But I do think in this specific context of radical self-love, what are some of those barriers that you could think of and how can we help um, some of those men kind of get through this concept of radical self-love? Absolutely. I, you know, this just sort of popped in my brain, but I think one of the biggest barriers to this conversation for this group of cis able-bodied white men, heterosexual men, is the distinction between power over versus power in. Okay. Right. That, that, we live in a society that is told that particular group that the way you access power is by accessing it over someone, mm, right? right? That you access, you access it over the physical world. You access it over people who are considered subordinate to you. You access it. So it's all about this idea of power over. And radical self-love is about power in, power that exists inherently in us, which means that I don't have to be over anybody in order for that power to exist. Mm -hmm. And that actually when I'm in a power over situation, then I'm in a system of body terrorism as the way we talk about it in the book. Um, I'm in a system that is inherently oppressive and exploitative. And so I think really giving, you know, giving disabled bodied heterosexual white men and everybody else who lives under one access or another of those privileges, the opportunity opportunity to redefine what power means. And part of the reason that that folks, particularly that group of folks, has such a difficult time accessing this power in model is because we've never given them an opportunity to actually think about who are you inherently, mm -hmm. right? Who are you outside of that system? Yeah. Uh, I do think this particular group is like the way that, well, I think most men, but the way cis hetero white men are like I, I don't know what's underneath that. Like, what are you outside of that? It feels like such an empty shell. And I think masculinities as a whole is an empty shell. But like asking what's what's inherently scary to me and mm -hmm. my journey through radical self-love is to have to stare that vast emptiness in the face and then fill it with my own power. Yeah. And that is that's just scary. As I don't know. It's <laughs> well, because the because you we've constructed a world that says you aren't anything without it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the whole purpose of radical self-love is to actually say that's absolutely 100 percent not true. Mm. Yeah. Um, and and so and the like radicals, it's not actually an empty pit. <laughs> like what's already yes. there when you were three, you were not an empty pit. You were awesome. Whatever you love, running around full of life, human being. So the journey of radical self-love is to reconnect with what has always been mm. before the world gave you all this other BS that isn't useful. Yeah, I think um, what's interesting about like white cisgendered men especially is because that their identities are treated within our society as the norm. Mm -hmm. And so it's like 
speaking as a white cis man. Um, I was about to I'm ask really, you. I was I'm like, really glad so you, you said there, there, and I'm like, is that not you? Or yeah. <laughs> just wanted to get clear. I okay. mean, yeah, as a white cis man, I never really had to think about my identities at yeah. all. And I always, like you said, I had power over identities that were subordinated within our society. So like within the systems of oppression, systems of oppression would break down if I or more white cis men um, or it would give fuel to break down if we talked about our identities and how they interact with other identities mm-hmm. that are seen as subordinated. So I think it's interesting how like when you're talking about the empty shell and this idea of like what what is below that just white cisgendered heterosexual mm-hmm. man um, identity. It's interesting because a lot of people are like, I'm more than that especially white men yeah. where they're just like, I don't want to talk about my identities <laughs> because I feel like my other identities as like maybe a father of uh, some, some vocational thing or like what they've done within their life is more important than like what their like, I guess, innate identities are. Mm. Yeah. I think that, you know, there isn't any, there hasn't been any social reward for being in that conversation mm-hmm. historically, yeah. right? Like nobody was rewarding you for thinking about who am I outside of, you know, a white cis heteronormative capitalist patriarchy. Yeah. Nobody was asking anybody to think about that. And now we're at a place where actually people are being asked to think about that all the time. And it's a muscle that is completely underdeveloped. Yep. Right. Yeah. You've not had a chance to be in that conversation. And so I think that the work is to and I had this conversation um, with a white guy at an event recently where, you know, he was just like, you know, I think about the ways in which I walk into space. And because he's interested in being in spaces that are about anti-oppression, he's like, I walk into space and I am viewed in all of these new negative ways that, you know, are, mm-hmm. you know, like my white maleness means something in that space. And it's such a, you know, and part of me was just like, welcome to the club. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, we've been waiting for you, Peaches. Um, but also, right. And I was, and also I was like, what is the exercise? Right. Because once you decide that that isn't the whole of you. Right. Because mm-hmm. all of it, as soon as the thing doesn't be is no longer the default, but becomes a negative thing, then then there's distance from it. Right. Yeah. I'm not just a white man. You've been just a white man for all of life as long as it was yielding good things. Right. Yeah. And now that it's it, now that it's being challenged, there's this desire to distance. And what I'd actually offer is that the more it's actually more powerful rather than distancing ourselves from those things to get intimate with them, mm-hmm. but almost from an external place like here is the way the world sees me. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean in relation in relationship? And to kind of start being in, you know, curiosity about those identities and curiosity about who you are outside of them. I wish it was that simple because you just use the word intimate there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Which that is, is not entire, a skill right? that <laughs> men in general. But I think the more dominant identities you layer on top of that, the harder it becomes to feel intimacy. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I wish it, I really wish it was that well, simple. And I, I feel very clear. Right. So this is one of the things I say about this work in general. And, and I'm going to swap out the word simple with easy. OK, because I actually think most of these uh, things are simple. They're not easy. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. And they're right. not easy because we don't because we haven't had, you know, chance to practice them because we don't have facility because we don't have a world that encourages that exploration. But again, it's a muscle. So I think what has to happen is someone has to decide. I don't want not just 
and I'm going to use this example, right? I'm more interested in the person who's like, I don't want to be racist than I am interested in the person who's like, I don't want to be called racist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. right? There's a distinction. Nobody likes being called racist, but very few people are interested in dismantling the things that actually make that term fit, yeah. right? So mm. I'm interested in cis, able-bodied, heterosexual, white men. Not saying I don't want to just be labeled as a cis, heterosexual, able-bodied, white man. I want, Who are you? And what... You know, and what are the things about those labels that make you want to distance yourself from them? And how do you, rather than distancing yourself from them, figure out how you begin to dismantle what they've come to mean in the world? What I I love about your book and what you said about that is it sounds like, and we've been talking about this a lot, where men have to be vulnerable with themselves Mm -hmm. and vulnerable with how they appear and act within the world in order to create and foster this radical self-love is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And (laughs) vulnerability (laughs) may be simple, but holy is it not easy. Not at all. From personal experience, I hate vulnerability. (laughs) And I've been trying to like... Why do you hate vulnerability? Because I don't benefit from it. I I would say hogwash. Yeah. (laughs) Lies. There's no external benefit. Yeah. And it's really difficult to measure the internal benefit when it's hard and it sucks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) would offer that there are external benefits, but we do, but we haven't, we don't live in a world that calls them benefits. Like mm. human connection is absolutely an external benefit, yeah. right? Not feeling disconnected, not feeling constantly in a state of shame in relationship to the rest of the world is an external benefit. Yeah. But we've just not told people that that benefit is greater than monetary wealth, having a lot of Uh, And all these other things that we, you know, that we've said are actually the benefits of masculinity in our world. You know, because if I mean, if looking back in the past, if you see, you know, men who would just contribute to their oppressive identities and not talk about it and then like just play into the systematic oppression, they would benefit, quote unquote, with money and like more women and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And what I'm having kind of a epiphany right now which is good <laughs> go go do it <laughs> lean into it but it's so- but it sounds like those in our capitalist society those are put as worth worthy and what you're saying is that vulnerability human connection and all these external benefits are not as worthy within our capitalist patriarch pa- oh, so many words so many words capitalistic <laughs> patriarchal society yes than just money Yes, exactly. And so I was sharing in our lunch earlier that, you know, one of the highest rates of suicide are white men over 50, mm-hmm. you know, and in my workshops, I'm always like, so why are white men over 50 killing themselves? Like they got all the money and they got, you know, like, yeah. and my hypothesis is that their identity is externally created. Their sense of self-worth is externally created mm-hmm. based off of sexual virility, based off of the ability to make money and based off of physical strength. All things that begin to shift and change as you age, right? Sexual virility begins to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, physical able-bodiedness is a temporary state for most human beings. Yeah. The, you know, the new tech startup guys are not 55-year-old white men. They're 23-year-old white men <laughs> who will eventually <laughs> be 55-year-old white men, right? And so if the entire way in which you've come to value yourself is an externally constructed identity that then you begin to lose one by one by one, I imagine one day you might wake up and say, why am I here? Why am I important anymore? And so even under this, you know, capitalist patriarchy, what I'm offering is that men are absolutely being stolen from being able to live their best lives, being able to actually be full, rich humans outside of that system. Yeah. I mean, Carl talks about the hollow shell a lot. And before I had had no idea what the 
that meant. But now <laughs> it, it sounds like that's the hollow shell. Is yeah. that you don't, your external identity is all that you have. It's all you know. Yeah. Right. Because I'm challenging that it's all you have. It's mm-hmm. all you know, because it's the only thing you've gotten to know. I'm offering, that's the whole reason I wrote a whole book. I'm <laughs> offering that there is a part of you that you can get to know that will outlast all those other things. Awesome. I, I'm talking to you later, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Like, I think that particular process, Peter, that you just went through highlights the importance of us planting seeds along the road because you never know when it'll click. Even if it was like meaningless for the most part for you when I said it. <laughs> this I have last, no idea what you're talking last, about. Right. This last year. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it's clicking now, it makes all of that worth it. So that's part of the work is to continue to like be and living your truth in a way that eventually hopefully someone will click. But we have 10 minutes left. And so I wanted to get to this one question. Our podcast, Sonia, aims to sort of guide cis men through engaging in social justice, mm-hmm. um, which has to be both internal and external for us men. Yes. And so what advice do you have for men that sort of struggle with their own body image or self-worth? Um, and what advice do you have for men who want to support other men with body image issues or trying to support other men trying to live radical self-love? Yeah. So I think that um, one of the first things I would say is, again, learn who you are outside of these systems. Who are you besides those definitions? Can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. Does that require knowledge of those systems? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, but at this point, not knowing those systems is by choice, right? That's a good point, too. <laughs> so if you're just in here like, I never knew there was patriarchy, it's because you just decided to not know there was patriarchy, That's a right? Good point. In which case, this conversation is, we're not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Wait okay. for the seed to pop, right? Uh, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I love it because I don't even know what the old conversations were, but I love that this is a moment of, you know, like that uh, that moment of germination led to this moment of flowering. Um, so yeah, you've got to be willing to be in conversation with yourself about in what ways have I defined myself in these systems? In what ways have I taken for granted who I am based off of the way that these identities exist as the default identity in our society? Mm -hmm. And then and start to get intimate with who am I outside of that? And one of the things that I think is the most powerful thing that we can do for each other is to challenge each other's thinking, is to not just let tired, old status quo beliefs go unchecked. You know, mm-hmm. and so and I and I think, you know, as it relates to cis men, really specifically the cult of toxic masculinity, right? Yeah. The mm-hmm. the commitment to protecting it in many ways, because, again, who am I if this ain't here anymore? Then who am I? Right. Really allows people to let the most destructive elements of it continue to fester unchallenged. Right. And so I really think and I talk about in the book, I give tools for community agreements for unapologetic conversations, Mm -hmm. ways to begin these conversations that hopefully keep them from blowing up into some fist fight on the street. (laughs) Um, But to use those tools as ways to begin to challenge when folks say stuff. And it doesn't even have to be a hard challenge. It doesn't have to be like, I can't believe you're oppressive. You know, like you don't have to do all of that. (laughs) But you can't just be like, that feels not cool. I'm not actually, I don't support that. Just that breaking the normalcy of that space makes someone have to sit in the discomfort of the thing that they just have taken for granted. Yeah, and I'm always of the belief too that there's probably someone else who is uncomfortable and so you'll get back up. Absolutely. Um, or at least that's a hope, right? If not, then maybe you need <laughs> right. to rethink your, your, your group crew, of right? Who you yeah. hanging with, right? <laughs> and sometimes like that backup is it'll be later and not in the space, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. in which case, be like, hey, so that was hard for me too. It's easier if we don't leave each other hanging. Right. Yeah. You know? For sure. Cool. Is there anything else you want to tell dudes out there? 
dudes. <laughs> yeah, like this system is oppressing you too. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not winning in it. I swear to I know you're not. Cause you're sad. You can't keep a girlfriend like <laughs> in the struggle, right? Like this is, it doesn't, it's not working for you. There is a way to be in the world that actually will generate all the things it is you desire. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. You. Thanks so much. Do you want to do some rapid fire questions? Let's do some rapid fire questions. Awesome. All righty. So the, the prompt here is usually like, cause we're usually interviewing men. So uh-huh. we're like, we know we're more than our masculinities. That doesn't necessarily work here. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, have, I have masculinities in me. There you go. Right? We know we're more than our radical self-love journeys. No, that's not it either. Right. We know we're more than our books. Yeah, more we're definitely our... more than the book. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you mind if we ask you some rapid fire questions? I'm all about it. Word. How fun was the photo shoot for the cover of your book? Lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Being naked is fun. <laughs> Word. Word. Hell yeah. Um, if the top half of your body was an animal, what animal would you choose? The top half of my body was Only. a uh, hippopotamus. Hell yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite joke? Uh, it's. <laughs> I have no appropriate jokes. So I just don't even tell them anymore. Um, I feel like there was one recently that I was like, that I thought was super funny. Where is it? Um, it come back to me. Okay, we'll come, come back, back to on you. that one. All right. Uh, favorite Halloween costume. I went as a tornado one year. It was so, I was the sexiest homemade. tornado in life. It was awesome. Was it like a homemade costume? It was a homemade costume. Okay. Yeah. That's costume. impressive. And I used best. hangers to build the like funnel on my head. It was dope. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm never that creative. So I felt extra special. Okay. I was about to say, do you like Halloween? I'm not a big Halloween guy. I like, you know, I like it, but I, I'm old now. So none of those things work anymore. <laughs> Candy's not enough incentive. Exactly. I'm like in bed by nine. Thanks. <laughs> do you like flying? I hate flying. I hate it. I want teleportation. Yeah. And then, then I'll be everywhere. Okay. Yeah. You have like a top three teleportation places? Um. Yeah. Uh, I would like to be teleported to Paris on a regular basis for croissants. Okay. Uh, just I, like in a cafe? This little portal? Yeah. Yeah. Like I just wanted to drop me in a seat and I want my like, <laughs> my you know, my little cafe... Olay and my croissant to just be sitting there because they already know Sonya's going to teleport here at 10 a.m. <laughs> That's what I want. Um, where's my other place? Um, you know, a really beautiful beach mm. and some tropical island, not during hurricane season. And I want to be regularly teleported to my bed so from wherever I am. To me what? From, to my bed. Okay. From wherever I am. Like, yeah, okay. No matter where I, I have to be, I want to be like, it's time to go to bed now. Uh, and then just be in my bed. That's awesome. That's- oh, I really want that. That just made me real excited. <laughs> that is perfect. Awesome. Do you have a favorite type of tree? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I mean, I love willow trees with like Spanish moss hanging on Ooh. them. I don't okay. know if that happens together, but it feels like it should. Um, <laughs> and I, th- I like aspen trees because they're creepy looking. Okay. They look really? like they have eyes. Oh, because of the bark? Yeah. Okay. And it made me, um, I've never been inspired to write a screenplay until I spent a weekend at a cabin surrounded by aspen trees Ooh. in which I created like an entire spring screenplay called Don't Y'all Steal My Play. Uh, it's called <laughs> 1101 and it's about checking out late. Like if you accidentally checked out after 11, then the entire thing transforms and Ooh. the aspen, and you know that you're checked out because the aspen tree actually blinks at you like an eye Ooh. <laughs> and it'll come out at 1101 the day after okay. Halloween Ooh. it's so good yeah. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to it uh, dolphins or manatees oh don't make me choose I think manatees because not enough people love them manatees my favorite yeah. animal manatees are awesome so cute rivers or lakes rivers movement okay always movement. gotcha 
Okay. I'm done. Well, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, Sonia, for putting up with our today. Um, we really <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> uh, once again, the book is The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. Please, please, please pick it up. It is transformative in a lot of ways. And so highly recommend it, I think, from both Peter and I. Yeah, it's a quick read. It yeah. doesn't take much time and it'll change your life. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That was our interview with Sonia Renee Taylor. Check out our reactions on part two. And that'll do it for this episode of Do You Even Live Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email wjc at colostate.edu. That's wjc at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e.edu. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even allow this podcast to happen. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WJC, go to wjc.colostate.edu. More 90.5 KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production by Xavier Hadley, aka Zabley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-B-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks for listening, everyone. Woo. Word, thank you. Awesome. So oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> I thought the first question was that question, That's but a, you meant this question. Yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go All for right. it. Okay. That's my bad.